Welcome to the Rainmaker Multiplier On Demand, a podcast for leading financial professionals or rainmakers and their teams that offer support for securing a successful future. From marketing help to staffing structure, listen and subscribe for actionable insights from advisors and skilled professionals alike. All right. I want to welcome um, Rob Lasivita, who uh, is our Chief Operating Officer at JL Smith and is really relevant to being on this topic today, how to identify and train a solid and skilled support staff to strengthen your business and assist your top advisors in Art Snarsnick. Welcome, Art. So glad to have you here as well. He's a mentor on the C2P portal that helps people with hiring and job descriptions and onboarding talent into the firm. So welcome, Art. Thanks, guys. So today, this is a great topic. I was mentioning before we got started that we do a $100 million club and we bring up the different members will bring up topics that we want to do a deep dive on. And ironically, we had our meeting yesterday and it's a half day meeting. And this was one of the topics. We only did a deep dive on two topics and this was one of them that was pressing and we went around and shared experiences. So it's really timely leading up to today's session. So yeah, today's a hundred episodes. Yeah, of the coffee break, which is pretty cool. So yeah, thanks for joining us, guys. Let me start out with like setting the stage a little bit of, of what we can talk about in regards to this topic. Art. In your experience, are, have you assisted people in primarily ha- hiring more operational administrative support or also advisors, people that come in and maybe are future advisors that maybe are also playing a operational or administrative support role? Yeah, the, the answer, the short answer is all of it. Okay. But without being silly, I have clients who actually are cleaning companies. So I've done this for janitors all the way up to executive directors of trade organizations and everything in between almost. I'm sure there's some things, but throughout businesses, I've hired from management to sales to administrative support or to even to just technical folks. But in, in financial planning, you have para planners and then you have other support staff who are just data folks. So Lots of different types of people we've hired for. So one of the reasons I ask Art, so the question I'm going to, I'd love you to weigh in on is no matter who you're hiring, financial services or not, whether they're a future advisor or not a future advisor, more just permanently an operations team member, what are some of the, the core components or success strategies in identifying and hiring and training those people, especially identification though, I'd like you to weigh in on, because I think what we're going to also then after that talk a little bit about is the kind of pros and cons of hiring like a lifer that's going to do a lot of the support uh, system function of the financial advisors versus someone that ultimately will develop into a financial advisor. But I'd love you to weigh in on, regardless of what direction we go in that regard, what are some of the core kind of attributes or success strategies around identifying the right fit for the firm? 
Jason, you have 17 questions in there for me, but I'm excited because I like this stuff. Warm everybody's mind up, get it all go. going all different directions. <laughs> to stay in line with C2P's hiring program, the, the, it's always clarity up front and then attract the right people and then select the right people. Those are the three buckets that I like to look at in hiring. And clarity up front means getting clear about the role. What do you need? What do you need for your firm? So a support person for your firm is going to be different than someone else's practice to define what are those key responsibilities, because that will help us get clear of those personal traits, attributes, skills that we need in order to get those things accomplished. So start with the job, get clear about that, and then let's get clear about the human that's going to do that job. And then from there, we can write, ask the right questions, write the correct job ad that attracts those people. It also helps us get clear about Am I talking to the right person or am I being fooled in this interview? If you're not clear up front, you'll do what lots of people do. And that's write a job ad and then not know what I'm looking for. I just want to feel it out in an interview and hope that I connect with this person and get the right vibe. So, of course, I use assessment tools to uncover other things about that. But getting clear up front helps us stay clear. Just a quick story about that, if, if I can. It's about the Secret Service and they study counterfeit bills to make sure that counterfeits don't come through. And they don't study all the ways that you can counterfeit a bill. They study the $100 bill so intensely that they know immediately when a counterfeit comes across their desk. And if you're doing that with candidates, you're so clear about what you want. You know that this guy's blowing smoke or this person's fantastic, but they're just not going to work here. They may have worked in a firm right down the road and they're a great a planner or support person and down the road, but not in our culture. So measuring those cultural things is what cool assessments can help with, or at least get us use the assessment ideas to get us in line with what it is we want. So we can see that in that person. How about you, Rob? What's your take? Same kind of. Yeah, question. similar thing. And Art, I appreciate the work that you've done with us, right? So it's when we're looking to hire somebody, we we think we know what we need, right? But when you're working with someone like Art, he really asks a lot of great probing questions and perhaps triggers some thought that you haven't perhaps maybe even thought about, right? Regarding the company, how you want to market yourself, right? If you're putting a job ad out there. It is an advertisement for your company, right? You really want to sell yourself, your services, and, and why this is such a great opportunity for them. And clearly defining the role, of course, perhaps easier said than done, right? But when you have someone like Art, who's really experienced in this, ask those probing questions and really get down into the details. And then the person, what type of person are you looking for? And if you have core values for your firm, what are you looking for? What type of attributes do you think you want in this role? And then some of those assessments that we're all pretty familiar with as well can help out the DISC assessment, Colby assessment to help identify the type of just the type of person and profile that you're looking for in that role. Yeah, yeah, I think if you're looking, I think that's really good feedback. I think leading with core values, even in your job ad and just attracting the right people to your firm. And at the end of the day, I think that a lot of people think about when they're trying to identify, when they're trying to find a new person to come work at their firm, they're they're not thinking of it through a marketing lens. But at the end of the day, you are marketing, right? You are looking for top talent to see what you put out there and be attracted to your firm. And so leading with core values and making it 
really sound fun and exciting is really an important component and looking at it through that marketing lens. Absolutely. And that, that carries through to the interview as well. Not only is it that job ad that's going to, that's going to pique their interest and want them to explore further, but in that first interview, it can't just, they can't just feel like it's a phone screening, right? If it's somebody whose resume that you're genuinely excited to talk to, you have to convey that on the phone or on the Zoom or in person when you're having that initial conversation with them. So you're selling them on your firm as much as they are selling you on their skills and their ability to do the job. Especially now, I think we've all run into it. it it's a challenge to find the right person. And when you have it, you got to make sure that we are on our game and making sure that we're going to secure their services. So, Yeah. It, it is a sales game to some degree and watch it. Don't get too salesy. I know sometimes when we need other support workers, we need somebody now. So we want to fall in love and sell somebody, make sure you're selling the right person and being an investigator to make sure they're the right person. The number one challenge I see to what Rob said here in businesses that are hiring is that they post a job description and not a job advertisement. So the description helps us get clear about what the role is, but then we need to sell the sizzle. Are you looking for a place like XYZ? Are you looking for this kind of culture? Well, then you're going to love it here because XYZ. So sell the sizzle of those things and not just, you're going to work here for this many hours and make this much money and do these tasks. I think that transparency up front of like how you operate and what your culture looks like. So there's a component of marketing and advertising and making it sexy and fun and exciting to make them want to come join you. But also, as you're taking them through the process, a level of transparency of what your culture is and what it's all about. Like, we are a high-performance culture. We work a lot of hours, right? We set those expectations up front. JL Smith especially is a very high-performance culture. We've had a concerted effort at C2P to continue to develop that same type of high-performance culture. That will scare some people away and it will scare the right people away. And the other thing is we are constantly evolving. Like we are and listen, it is top down. I'm the CEO of the company and I'm evolving things rapidly. And so if that culture is something that is going to throw people off, if too much change and too much evolution is just not going to be their comfort then you let them know up front so you don't end up matchmaking the wrong fit. I think that's really important. A good example, I'll tell you a quick story. One of my most valuable team members who just turned his camera on, Matt Seitz. Matt, I'm about to share a little story about when I hired Matt. Five years ago, I had heard a story about how somebody in an interview took the candidate to lunch. And I knew Matt was a key hire as our head of marketing. And I wanted to, we interviewed a few different times. He interviewed a bunch of team members. And I had heard about how you take somebody to a restaurant and you go beforehand and you tell the waiter to mess up their order, like hardcore, bring them the wrong drink, bring them the wrong food, like just give them horrible service and see how they react to that server and how they treat that server when the server is just like bumbling through, making all these mistakes. I'm like, oh, that's such a great idea. And then, so anyways, I had to go grocery shopping, right? Like that day, my wife, I don't know, there, there were some things I needed to pick up. And so Matt came in and I was like, hey, buddy, you mind if we uh, run to the grocery store across the street? 
literally on a job interview. So Matt gets in the car with me. We go to my car. We get in the car. We go to the grocery store. I ask him to help me find this almond flour tortilla that my wife really likes. And I'm like, we're all gluten-free and dairy-free. He's reading the back of labels. He's walking around the grocery store. And it's just, but he didn't flinch. He didn't flinch of me asking him to go to the grocery store. He wasn't all disheveled and thrown off. So I could see that he would be okay with change and, and pivoting like that. And then it was like, he was bending over backwards to help. Hey, anything else we need to pick up and that kind of thing. I immediately knew he was just like a guy I wanted to work with. And so there's some creative things you can do, but it's really a lot of it goes back to understanding who you are as the leader of your organization, what kind of culture and organization you're leading and making sure you're really screening for finding the right fit. Well, I was going to say, I think it's important if versatility and diplomacy intact, if these are skills, this all comes from the clarity up front. If those are skills that are necessary, then those what were what you were looking for and met, whether you noticed it or not, or were intentional about it or not. But for a support person, oftentimes those are more maybe introverted people and they have skill sets around empathy or customer focus, maybe understanding others. And maybe they don't have as much versatility because they like a systematic approach and they don't like anomalies like that. And in that case, you might spook off a good support person if you put them under the same exercise. So the reason why that worked is because you needed this kind of person and then Matt showed up and was that kind of person. But if you were doing that for a different position, you might miss the right person. And not only necessarily position specific, but just looking for a core value fit, right? One of our core values is ownership mindset. And what I talk a lot about on our, certainly our, our initial interviews, I list our core values and give an example of them. And one of them, like I said, is ownership mindset. And I say, hey, we're a relatively small, still growing firm, got about 30 people in four states, but we still look at ourselves as in our heart as a small company. And I said, what does the owner of a small company have to do? And the answer is everything. No, regardless of how big or how small, you're expected to do everything, right? Take out the trash, change and light bulbs, sweeping the floor, like whatever it takes. That's the kind of person we're looking for. And yeah, to have that, to have Matt do some grocery shopping with you or somebody, a waiter intentionally messing up an order, it, it'll tell you what that person's true character is and see if they're a core value fit for the firm. Yeah. The, the other thing, I think it, uh, it ties into th there's shortcuts that you can help figure out how people are hardwired. And if they're going to have, in your example, Art, where you're talking about somebody who maybe is more focused on a process and a system, and maybe that would throw them off a little bit for sure, doing something like that. But at the end of the day, there is also how they react to it, right? In, in reading body language. But there's shortcuts, right? And Lisa actually typed in the box talking about assessments that you had done for their firm. So Art, what type of assessments are you a fan of? I know I'm, I love these things. I'm a student of all of them. Disc, Colby, Myers-Briggs, the, actually the Six Working Geniuses is a new one that I really have fallen in love with. Patrick Lencioni of what your working genius is. But what do you use, Art, and how do you use that to help shortcut and identify the right people? One, let me give you a new one, Jason, you probably haven't heard of, but it's a PQ assessment, positive intelligence, and it's free online. It'll tell you how your mind sabotages yourself and how to quickly combat that and get back on track. 
and separate that. But that's my new favorite one. And it really increases your emotional intelligence and your ability to manage things without stress and for your staff to do the same. But I love DISC. I like all the assessments for what they're intended for. And whenever I'm hiring, I always use a smattering of four. And really the, the same four that we use in the Right Fit Advisor program. So the DISC to measure how does a person like to show up, their driving forces or motivators to see what is their cultural fit? What is their passions? Do they value the things I value that our firm values? Am I going to have a cultural fit with this person because we have the same values? And that might be a little bit of a mismatch with somebody else on a team doing a different kind of role. So you got to measure cultural fit with me and them, cultural fit with the company and them, cultural fit for the position in them. So you can look at those things. Another assessment is competencies. I use uh, soft skills like time management and personal accountability, resiliency. If we're hiring an advisor, we want to see, are they good negotiators? Are they persuasive? Do they have good presentation skills? But for a support person, we're going to be looking for a whole smattering of different skills. And then acumen. I like to see the way they think. Do they think clearly and in a balanced way? Are they going to make proper decisions? And there's other tools we can use. Colby's really fantastic. Gina is amazing with that Colby stuff to get in there and see what is their the way that they like to attack problems or their MO on how they go about problem solving. So all the assessments are good. One at a time is a little bit tricky because we're only measuring one dynamic. So I like to smash a couple together when I'm so I can see somebody through multiple lenses. Excellent. Thanks, Art. And uh, yeah, you've been an awesome resource to all of the advisors on the Mentor Connect, and we appreciate you being part of the community here at C2P. Uh, Rob, I want to talk a little bit about a pivot that we made uh, a, a number of years back where we really, listen, we're not hiring any more people to touch any more tactical responsibilities that have anything to do with financial advisory that will ultimately teach skills that would help them become a financial advisor. We're not going to allow anybody to, to touch those things that are eventually going to be a financial advisor. And we made that decision a few years back of when we're hiring people in like not to do marketing or HR or finance or when you also need a manager that maybe is a lifer that's going to yeah. manage and train the group of individuals. But as we're bringing in more support people to do new business processing status, case prep, post appointment, open ticket items, free withdrawals, change of beneficiaries, and logging into the system and doing a lot of data entry, we decided we're only hiring client service associates that have a desire and work clear upfront sure. and in job postings and everything else to eventually become a financial advisor. And we're using that as a training ground to be our support staff, but to also train them to learn basic knowledge and information and how to operate that helps them to move up to the next rung, which is the pair planner building financial plans, and then on to a financial advisor. And talk a little bit about that pivot that we made and what the team looks like and what type of quality of individuals we've been able to bring on in the last few years. 
Yeah, absolutely. Happy to talk to you. So it really starts with, I talked about the interview and really selling your firm to the candidate. Part of that sales process is showing them the advisor career path. And I, I tell this story all the time because it's true. After I got through going through all five rungs of the advisor career path, one of the candidates' eyes lit up and he said, I'm in. We didn't talk about anything else. There was no, certainly no offer on the table. There's no anything. I'm in because I, I could see, I could, he was able to see his career out to all the way, ultimately up to being a partner. It's critical to, again, convey what opportunities your firm affords that candidate. But to, to your point, Jason, yeah, we're looking for folks who want to be in the financial services industry, right? It's weeded out during the interview process and letting them know, starting at that client service associate role, you're going to learn everything. You're going to learn this industry from the ground up, every little path that needs to be done. You're going to learn phone skills. You're going to learn email skills. You're going to learn how to work in our CRM. You're going to learn all of the technical skills that go along with processing business. And then eventually make your way up to a pair planner where you're working, learning more of the nuts and bolts about how to put together the plan. And, and we say that because tie it back to the career path. You're eventually going to be a lead advisor, right? You might be a partner in this firm. Someday someone who's right out of college is going to look to you for direction and you're going to have to be an expert in every single thing that our firm does. And what that does or what that has done for us over the past year, we have five incredibly talented people in our backstage who are currently client service associates across our, of course, our office in Ohio and our office in Florida, who are completely bought in. They will do everything big, little, and in between that, that we need them to do because they see the opportunity in front of them. They see the why. They're able to connect what they're doing today to what they're ultimately going to be doing as an advisor. So it's really helped us attract the right person with a great attitude, great work ethic to get the job done that we needed to do. Makes me think I, uh, I have, uh, it's so good. I have a, so a couple cautionary things for everyone is watch your own personal bias as you do it as a, as a business owner an entrepreneur, as an advisor, we may have a desire to like always be increasing ROI or articulating value to others. And maybe that's not as necessary for someone in a support role, right? They're not out for the bonus. They're out to serve clients because they love helping the community or whatever it is. They just have a different set of motivators. So don't watch your own personal bias. This person may not be just like me, but they're well-suited for the role and they'll compliment me and round me out. The other cautionary thing, Jason, you brought it up earlier, was I wanted to hit on it, is the lifers versus that grow into a position. So I always encourage people to just hire for the position you need, whatever I need for six, 18 months. What do I need now? And we'll talk about growth later. But to go into it with the mindset of I want to hire a person that's going to do this and then grow into that. It's tricky because you're on a different time frame than they are. They may, you may find out that they're not well suited for that, or you want to pivot that. They may want that to become a second chair advisor sooner than you wanted and get disgruntled because they're not. So just watch that and hire for what your company needs. And then when it's time to grow that other position, you can evaluate that internal person and see if they're a good fit for that or start molding them to see if they're going to have a taste for it. But watch how you go out to market, to hire, and watch that double promise. Yeah, that's a great point, Art. And one of the things we started to do is use, even in the hiring process, the 10,000 hour rule. And one of the, that's one of the things we explained to, to young individuals that are joining our organization is, listen, it's going to take about 10,000 hours in the backstage 
before you're ready to go to the front stage. And this is Malcolm Gladwell kind of came up with this theory that it takes 10,000 hours to develop a really strong core competency in something. And we explain that. And we you even explain, I do an onboarding with every employee and I do a 30 minute session with them. And I reiterate it that, listen, the ball's in your court. It's in your hands of how fast you want to progress in this industry. Because if you work 40 hours a week, 50 weeks in a year, that's about 2,000 hours a year. It's going to take you about five years in the backstage before you're really competent enough to serve clients in the front stage, especially by yourself, right? And that's how long it's going to take. But if you work 80 hours a week, because in all your spare time, you're reading, you're taking licenses, designations, you're listening to podcasts, you're attending conferences, you're going to cut that time in half to two and a half years. So at the end of the day, a lot of this is on you, on, on how long it takes. But to your point, our excellent point, you got to set the expectation up front that typically we say it's going to take a handful of years to get through, just depending on how dedicated they are and how much they invest in it. What does the business need right now? Right now. Right now you need something. Of course, we want other people to grow in, grow into what we need later. But what do I need right now? Your business is a machine and it needs some oil. What kind of oil does it need now? And then later we need some jet fuel or whatever it is. And to that point, Art, is one thing I want to caution people is you need a really strong operational person that is going to be able to help you train and manage on a lot of that backstage tactical responsibilities that a client service associate would do. So don't go think you could just hire a client service associate out of college and then you're going to bang your head against the wall trying to train them on a lot of that operational stuff. Your first hire for the smaller offices, maybe just considering their first or second hire, you need a really strong operational person that learns all your processes, all your systems, gets things documented. So that way, as you start to move people through the career path and you're having turnover by design, then that's okay because you have that operational person that is helping train and manage those individuals as they move through it. Or even if there's no turnover, if somebody just comes in and they're great at being a support person, let's not give them the Peter principle where we promote them into their incompetency. Let's just leave them where they're fantastic and not try to squeeze the limit. Let's go find somebody who's better suited for that other role. When it's yeah. And Mark, that's the one thing I, I agree with you. You need some of those people. The mistake I see too many offices and advisors and entrepreneurs make is they allow too many of those people to accumulate in the backstage and it uses up valuable training opportunities for future advisors. Mm. And so the key is like, you should only have a few of those operational people that are literally doing those type of client service associate type of work because you want the other young individuals that have a future as an advisor to be able to do a lot of that work. So it's a balancing act, but you need the stability. And so that's why you need at least one rock in the backstage doing the operations. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for uh, joining us today. It was a great session. Thank you, Art. Thank you, Rob. And we will... See you on the next episode.
Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was brought to you by C2P, an organization whose purpose is to educate, train, grow, and support holistic financial advisors so families can achieve true prosperity. Never miss an episode by subscribing now to discover new resources and strategies. Visit c2penterprises.com to learn how we can help scale and secure your business. At the time of delivery and any subsequent publishing, information was deemed reliable but is subject to change by the time of listening or viewing. The contents of this piece include options and projections of C2P, are subject to change, and are for informational purposes only. The information provided in this presentation is not intended to be individual investment, tax, or legal advice.